We've been uh, going through this sermon series uh, called Invited. And this morning, we have a guest preacher. For many of you, he won't need an invitation at all. Uh, won't need an introduction at all. Um, but uh, this morning, we have with us uh, the man that was senior pastor in our church for 15 years before uh, Scott Dudley. He is a great leader. He is a gifted teacher and preacher. He is a man of great faith. And we are privileged to have him with us this morning. Uh, the Dr. Dick Leon. Welcome. Thanks, Rich. You, you've got that line again. It's, you know, you, sometimes you, just, you know the people, you don't have to believe everything they say. They, they stretch things out a little bit more than reality, but it was nice anyway. <laughs> It is always good to come back and, and be with you. Uh, as you know, the pace that uh, they put us through as pastors, uh, they keep us moving, so I'm not able to greet all of you afterwards, but I've, if there's such a thing as a virtual hug at the end of the service, I want you to feel a virtual hug from me as, uh, uh, as a welcome and a greeting uh, to each one of you. General Douglas MacArthur, when he retired, spoke to the United States Congress and said, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. Well, I'm here to tell you that old pastors never die. <laughs> they just hang around the edges to check up on you, make sure you're doing well. Well, Scott has asked me to preach twice uh, this summer uh, today and in two weeks and so I want to do this is checkup time I want to do a little checkup today on your inner life the question of believing your faith and in two weeks I want to check up on your outer life to find out if you're behaving yourself so if you survive this one come back we'll get the checkup uh, in a couple of weeks I believe these are the springboards of spiritual disciplines that you're talking about throughout the summer. You know, as Christians, we don't just believe in general in some God that we make up. We believe quite precisely in the person of Jesus Christ. The main creed that you find repeated over and over in the New Testament is the very simple creed, Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe in someone who lived in a particular time during the reign of Pontius Pilate, in a particular place, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, died in Jerusalem on a cross, and whose historic resurrection from the dead is the most compelling evidence that enables us to say, yes, Jesus is Lord. Whatever we believe, our faith, our core convictions, shapes our life and shapes our world. The passage we have uh, from Hebrews that Rich read goes on to say all the things that this great cloud of witnesses have accomplished in history. Abraham obeyed, left his home, followed God's leading. Moses led the people out of Egypt. 
the people by faith passed through the Red Sea. And then in 32, the text says, What more should I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And on and on he goes, telling us of things faith has done, has accomplished. Faith makes a difference. What you believe will shape your life and will shape your world. Think of it. Take your own life and think of the things that have become your core convictions and ask yourself, isn't it true? Those beliefs, my belief system, has literally shaped my life. It has helped me to do some things and it kept me from doing some other things. Maybe the most personal illustration of this truth is seen in marriage where the intimate relationship between two people is shaped deeply by their mutual faith. Just last weekend, Carolyn and I celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Wow. Fifty's a long, that's a lot of years. It seems like just a moment, however. <laughs> Be careful here. Here's the one, Carolyn's the one who gets the Medal of Honor uh, for putting up with me and the Purple Heart besides. Uh, it was easy for me, but uh, anyway, when uh, you live that long and are married that long, it raises questions. How did you survive that long? How did your marriage last that long? And the answer is very clear for Carolyn and me. The answer is that we had a common faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Those core convictions, that inner life, is what helped us sustain our relationship through all kinds of highs and lows in those 50 years. You know, when you think of it, being cute and fun often brings people together. But cute and fun can't keep people together forever. There's a time where the euphoria of those early years of romance begin to fade, and that's when whatever our core convictions may be will emerge and reveal a different, or perhaps a different, but at least reveal who we really are. And at that time, if those core convictions haven't been the same, you'll discover you're with someone you don't know. Those of you who are married know cute and fun don't last. I'm fortunate Carolyn's still cute and fun. But I've got to make sure you get this straight here. But that is not what has kept us together. And if you're not married, you'll recognize cute and fun will attract you to someone. But be sure you look beneath the surface to the inner life, to the core convictions, because that will soon rule the day. Well, our core convictions not only 
shape who we are and those intimate relationships, they shape the world we live in. What does it look like when we say Jesus is Lord? What does that do to the world around us? Let me use a quote from Walter Wangeren, a good Lutheran author. Good Lutheran makes it sound like they're bad Lutherans, but I don't want to imply that, but he's, he is good. And uh, he describes the world when Jesus is Lord and the world when Jesus is not Lord. And he uses the image of a chicken coop. A chicken coop under cockatrice, who does not believe in God, and a chicken coop under Chanticleer, who does believe in God. Let me read this description, and you'll get a little bit of it on the screen above. You'll see it as well. The coop of cockatrice was dirty and smelly, without order or goodness, a place of ugliness, sickness, and anger. The animals were divided into separate camps where they all hunkered down with their own kind. They fought among themselves, and their children lived in fear. That's the coop of cockatrice who does not believe in God. By the way, this was written about 30 years ago, but man, if that doesn't sound like the U.S. Congress today, I don't know what does. I mean, that's about what's going on, isn't it? It's terrible. This is why his coop was such a mess. Cockatrice never crowed the cannon. Now I know we're in a non-liturgical tradition, so crowing the cannon may not make sense to us, but you need to know that historically the church developed a set of seven canonical prayers throughout the day that help people recognize God's presence in all part of life. And uh, Cockatrice, who doesn't believe in God, doesn't crow the cannon. So under him, the day lost its meaning and its directions, and the animals lost any sense of time or purpose. A terrible feeling of danger entered their souls, of things undone, of treasures unprotected. They all went about with hunched shoulders, heads tucked in, limping here and there as if they were forever walking into an ill wind and flinching at every sound as if the wind carried arrows. This is Wangeren's poetic description of the coop, the, the coop of cockatrice, a world without God. By contrast, he paints the picture of the coop of Chanticleer, and this is how he describes this coop. Chanticleer crowed the seven canonical crows throughout the day. These are the seven liturgical prayers throughout the day. They told all the world, at least that part of the world over which he was Lord, what time it was. And they blessed the moment in the ears of the hearer. They blessed the day by making the day and that moment of the day familiar. By giving it direction and meaning and a proper soul. That's what prayer does for us throughout the day. It reminds us who we are. It gives us our bearings again. It sets our foundation. It helps meaning enter into the day. And he goes on, and I love what he goes on to say. He says, when Chanticleer crowed his canonical crows, the day wore the right kinds of clothes. And this line is the best of all. His hens lived and scratched in peace. How's that? 
happy with what was, and unafraid of what will be. Even wrong things were made right, and the gray things were explained. Does it matter what we believe in life? Immensely. And when we believe Jesus is Lord, that's the kind of world we can live in. A world where the Lordship of Christ and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit give meaning and purpose and direction. Our hands can live and scratch in peace, happy with what was, unafraid of what will be. That's what faith can do for us. It shapes our life. But let's be real. Faith is tough. It's difficult to come to believe in God, let alone in Jesus, especially in our secular society. We have all kinds of impediments to faith around us. Let me just name two. On the left end, we have the skeptics, led by the four horsemen of atheism, if you've read any of those. Hitchens and Harris and Dawkins and Dennert. They're writing big stuff these days. And uh, if we read them, you might come to believe what they are saying, that we, if you're really intelligent, you don't need faith. Uh, faith is for people who can't think their way through life on their own. Uh, but the bright people can get along without it. There's a huge flaw to that. Blaise Pascal, my favorite Frenchman, helps us see that, that faith is not just a matter of the head. It is mainly a matter of the heart. Pascal's wonderful line, the heart has its reasons, which reason does not know. John Ortberg tells a story of a, of a pilot in a small plane with two passengers, a Boy Scout and the smartest man in the world. And they're flying along up there and pretty soon the engine quits. And the pilot turns to tell his passengers, oh, I'm sorry, we only have two parachutes. The smartest man in the world turns to the Boy Scout and he says, the world needs me. I'm the smartest man in the world. And he grabs one and jumps out. And the pilot comes back and says to the Boy Scout, you know, I've lived a long life and your life is all before you. You go ahead. You can take the other parachute. And the Boy Scout turns to the pilot and says, Relax, Captain. The smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack. <laughs> Smarts don't do it. And the skeptics would have us think uh, there's a choice between thinking, intelligence, and faith. But that's simply not the case. On the other end of the spectrum, we have the purists who would say, if you believe, you must believe unconditionally. You must believe without doubt. You must believe without reservation. You must be an absolutist in your faith without any quavering, any quivering, any question at all. And the purists are telling us a little bit of garbage also. Really. Do any of you have doubts? I hope you do, because I do, and I don't want to be alone. I think we all, any thinking person, must also have doubts. Questions about the world, questions about what's happening, the 
world religions that we see, the vastness of the universe, the troubles around us, all kinds of reasons to doubt. Now, I've wrestled through my doubts about Jesus Christ, and I now have no questions left about him. I believe who say he is who he said he was. He is indeed the Lord. But after that, doubts for me abound. Any of you play golf? Carolyn and I uh, uh, have, since retirement, have picked up golf. We, I slapped around a little bit when I was working, but that was hardly called playing golf. But now we love it and, and because it is so much like life. I mean, it's, it's beautiful, always in a place of beauty. Life is beautiful. It's difficult. There's always trouble. And life is difficult. And golf is terrifying also. <laughs> And life is terrifying. It's frightful, isn't it? Well, if you have friends who are golfers, uh, the thing to do when they come in from golf is not to ask them the score. And the reason for that is that scoring is overrated. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Playing is the point. Now, if you... When you get a hole and run one, and when you shoot in the 70s, then scoring's not overrated. But for most of us, all the time, scoring is overrated. Playing is the point, a place of beauty, a place of challenge, a time with friends, uh, the unreachable par that you're seeking. Uh, I've gotten to the point when uh, at the end of a, uh, a match and so forth, and we'll be kind of gathering our stuff and going home, and I'll say, you know, that was a great day, guys, anyway. <laughs> in spite of the score, in spite of the trouble, it was a great day anyway. Well, I think that's how we need to look at faith. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I've got a lot of questions. I still am not sure about this and I'm not sure about that. But I believe in Jesus anyway. We're filled with doubts. Our questions, our head is busy all the time. And it's not at all wrong for us to, be have, to have times of doubt amidst our faith. What's the opposite of faith? Many people will say doubt is the opposite of faith. But that's not true according to the scriptures we read. The scriptures tell us that, that faith is convictions in things not seen. Sight is the opposite of faith. If you see something happen, you don't need to have faith in it. For example, let me show you here. Let's say I give this dollar to William. Now, do you need faith to believe that I did that? No. Let's say William gives it back. <laughs> see? You don't need any faith to do that, do you? You can see that. But if I told you before the service, I gave Rich a $100 bill. Now that takes faith to believe that. I mean, like, if I gave him a $100 bill, why is he here and not out spending it? And besides that, what's a retired pastor doing with $100 bills in his wallet? <laughs> that takes faith. You haven't seen it. 
you have to look at the credibility and the evidence around it. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Doubt is a servant of faith. Doubt is an enabler of faith. There's a wonderful quote that I want you to see about doubt that I think helps say this well. Doubt is the mother of conviction. Once we have pursued our doubts to the dust, we forge a stronger, not a weaker, belief system. To suppress doubt is to discourage thinking, and it makes us more susceptible to the cynical in life. Doubt is the mother of conviction. The beauty of the Christian faith is that it is strong enough, big enough, solid enough, sure enough to withstand all our assaults of doubt. You know, there are other religions that you can't ask any questions about. Questions about Jesus Christ, about scripture, about our history have been asked to the nth degree. And the church still stands and Jesus Christ is still Lord because we believe in Jesus anyway. All right, my checkup on you has a couple of homework assignments. I want you to go home and I want you to list the things that make faith hard for you. What are the things that raise doubts? What are the things that are questions in your mind? What are the things that are a challenge to your faith? I've got a huge list, and I'm sure you would as well. The, the whole issues of suffering in the world, cruelty of men and women to others, vulgarity, things that seem to be on the rampage around us, sins of the church, the political conflict and stalemate, questions about biblical interpretation, Charlie Sheen, I mean all kinds of things <laughs> raise great questions for me. But I don't know about you, I don't want to be the kind of a person whose whole faith rests on God pleasing me and making me happy each moment of my life. I don't want to be so self-possessed that my test of God is the littleness of who I am. I would rather be know, like to be known, I love the title that uh, Eugene Peterson gives to one of his books, as someone who kept a long obedience in the same direction all through life. Able to say, I believe in Jesus anyway. Regardless of the backpack of sorrows that I carry, Regardless of times I question unanswered prayer, regardless of what seems to be chaos and disorder around me, I want to be able to say, yes, I still believe in Jesus anyway. Now that's the first assignment. Make a list of the things that are a challenge to your faith. Address them. Don't be fearful of them. Because your doubts are the mother of conviction. And when you follow your doubts and drive them to the dust, you will own your faith in a stronger, not a weaker, belief system. The second assignment is make a list of all those things that encourage faith. 
All those things that build up your faith. And that list should be more substantial and longer than the first. How did you first come to Jesus Christ? What has the Holy Spirit done in changing your life already? What are the times you've had experiences of exquisite, exquisite joy or happiness or beauty in the world that remind you of the transcendent and the holiness of God? What about the huge array of the, va of the, of the, the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about? People through the ages who have spoken words of truth and of faith and encouragement to you that enable you to believe. Aquinas and Wesley and Calvin and Luther and C.S. Lewis and Blaise Pascal, of course. Uh, all of them, Scott Dudley as well, put him on the list. People who have enabled you to come to faith. A huge array of that cloud of witnesses. And then, what about Scripture? The word of the Lord that stands in Scripture as a constant stability, stabilizing force in our life and our faith. Read it and trust it. It gives insight and strength to our faith like nothing else that we have. But I suppose the final name on your list as you make it should always be the name of Jesus Christ absolutely unique in all of history no one else like him he has been challenged questions have been raised about him uh, uh, in, in all through history and he still stands as Lord he accepts and uh, honors that questioning mind and that questioning spirit keep your eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith who withstood the suffering of the cross, forsaking its shame, and sits now at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, that's my first checkup sermon for you on your inner life, your believing, your faith. I want you to be free enough to deal with the questions and the uncertainties, but I want you to be able to say at the end, you know, I believe in Jesus anyway. Pray with me. Great God, we thank you that you are a God big enough to deal with our questions and our searching. You are a God who honors the mind you have given us, but you are also a God who touches the heart that beats within a heart that is warmed by your spirit and drawn to your lordship and rejoices that Jesus Christ is Lord. Anyway, amen.